Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larikia, and this is episode number 230 of the podcast. It's the 9th of June, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, Anna Brown joins me for another Unschooling in Context episode. Following up on last week's compilation episode's focus on parenting and the shift away from using control as a parenting tool and toward connection and engagement with our kids, Anna and I are diving into unschooling in the context of parenting. I think exploring how they weave together can really help deepen our understanding of them both. And I had to think a little bit uh, to choose how I wanted to represent this relationship between parenting and unschooling in the diagram. So I chose a big circle to represent parenting and then a smaller, fully enclosed circle to represent unschooling. Because there is parenting, obviously, that exists outside of unschooling, yet once we commit to unschooling and discover how it thrives, our focus really becomes all about our relationships with our kids, about living our lives side by side. Unschooling and parenting become one and the same. As a personal update, things are starting to open up a bit here in Ontario, and my dad has happily returned to his part-time job. He's learning to navigate working while wearing a mask. (laughs) He's surprised how often he touches his face and then needs to sanitize his hands. I was preemptively tested a couple of weeks ago because I work part-time at a retirement home and it came back negative. And I spoke with Lissy this week about visiting. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing lots of research about what a visit would entail. She's participating in the protests in New York City right now, and with the increased virus potential and our family's increased risk, she's decided to postpone her visit. It actually wasn't as formal as it sounds. We were talking, sharing what's going on, back and forth, and a few minutes in, she said, sounds like we both think it would be a good idea to postpone my visit. And I happily agreed. After we hung up, it struck me again how the popular family-first mantra can go awry. To me, it's not about the people needing to mold themselves into someone's vision of a family, be it a parent or a grandparent. It's about the real people involved, about embracing our priorities and supporting each other in our choices and weaving our lives together in ways that work for everyone. That feels so much better to me. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patrons, Laura Calvert, Carrie, and Aaron Kren. Hi, Laura. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Aaron. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes each week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversations with Anna. 
Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Anna Brown. Hi, Anna. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. So we are back with another Unschooling in Context episode. And the idea with these episodes is to deepen our understanding of unschooling by exploring it in the context of other related things. So this week, I wanted to dive into unschooling in the context of parenting. So looking at some of the paradigm shifts around parenting and parent-child relationships that are integral to helping unschooling thrive in our families. This is a topic near and dear to my heart, and I know Anna's too, so this is going to be a lot of fun to dive in. <laughs> so the first uh, shift that I wanted to dive into or, uh, is the idea that um, parenting doesn't need to be adults versus children. And we also touched on this in the last episode, which I thought was really fun. It's that shift um, from control to connection. Um, in in the way that we approach parenting. And I really, I really enjoyed, I did an episode a long time ago now, a book chat around uh, Alison Gopnik's book, The Gardener and the Carpenter, what the new science of child development tells us about the relationship between parents and children. What excited me about that was how she got to so many of the same ideas we do with unschooling and supporting our kids without ever mentioning unschooling. I don't even think she mentioned homeschooling maybe once, you know, none of that. This is her research into supporting um, our children and to developing a great relationship with our kids. So um, I'm just going to quickly go through the, the two models, parenting models that she talks about there. So the carpenter is the parent that has a blueprint for the adult they want their child to become and diligently works over the years to ensure that their child turns out according to plan. And this style is popular. It's risen in prominence over the last few decades and has led to parent-child relationships and lots of conventional wisdom out there that is steeped in power and control in adults versus children. Um, And has given, she says, rise to a lot of anxiety, guilt, and frustration, and made the lives of both children and parents worse in general, is what she's seen through her research. In contrast, the gardener parenting metaphor that she talks about cultivates a rich and nurturing environment while giving their children space to grow into the individual that they're meant to be. You know, when you think of it that way, no two flowers are exactly alike. No two plants are exactly alike. So she writes that a secure, stable childhood allows children to explore, to try entirely new ways of living and being, and to take risks. And I love her point, and she emphasized that risks aren't risks unless they can come out badly. (laughs) Right? really wasn't a risk if there was no no range of outcomes right <laughs> and it truly is that gardener style of parenting that allows unschooling to thrive isn't it oh my gosh I I love this metaphor and I you know you really introduced it to me I hadn't read the book and so I've thought a lot about it because I I don't know it hits so many points for me and I think for so many different reasons 
And I think that first is being able to show the appreciation that each child is an individual here on their own journey. I think, I think that is probably one of the critical things that maybe we don't talk about enough in unschooling Mm -hmm. is that if we can go there first, then so many of these other ideas that we talk about flow from that, from this understanding that they are unique and individual. And we do talk about it a lot, but I just think, Ooh, this is kind of a core piece place to start. Um, and it's a reminder that we don't know best for our children or for any other one else. And that can be hard to hear, you know, because we want, you know, we love them so and we feel that we can, you know, help them and guide them and do. Um, but what we can do is use this information to provide this nurturing environment. And and what's so great is that then they can grow in the direction of what makes sense for them and what, you know, aligns with who they are. And so it's not that we don't have a role, you know, it's not that we have to step back and not be involved. It's that are we taking over the project or are we just offering this beautiful environment for that to grow and thrive? So there's just so much richness in her metaphor here. And I think it 100% applies to unschooling. And I think what's beautiful is we just see it really play out so clearly in unschooling because we allow for this range of behavior and this range of relationships and this range of outcomes, you know, and so we get to see how this can be so rich. I, uh, you brought up so many great points there. Like the number one is the the nurturing piece. I think so often we find um, it makes sense like and and let's just say too um the the carpenter parents you know have are are doing it from a place of love right i mean this isn't like oh i'm going to ruin my kid or, or anything like that right and but it's that it's that dance like you were saying overstep and get into control right and it's easy i think or easier for parents to realize the impact of that control and to you know want oh i would love my child to be able to make um, their own choices and do their own things. That is such a great thing to dive into because like you said, our child, our children are individuals. And then we get that whole piece that, well, you know, it's, we're happy to let them make choices, but then we get to, well, as long as their range, their choices are somewhere within this range of comfort for myself, right? And I know we'll dig into that later, but I think it's so um, important to just sit here for a while, like you said, and understanding how unique each of our children is. So when we let go of that control, it's what do we replace it with? We replace it with that connection. And for me, that's that nurturing environment, right? Inside the the gar if we stay with the garden metaphor right so you need to know what the what the child is looking for what they're interested in um and those connections are how you can nurture and engage with them and be involved in their life so often i think you know we see people stepping away from the control piece but they're not sure what to do instead so they're like okay i'm i'm not going to control them and i'm just going to kind of sit back here and watch and hope all the things they do, you know, fall within <laughs> with, within what I'm comfortable with. Um, but that that next step of that paradigm shift is to really, like you were saying, get to know my child. See through their eyes. See what it is that they're curious about. And live with them in connection with them. 
versus because that's that's like another layer to peel away of the adults versus children. Okay, I'm not going to um, direct them per se, but another layer is being with them. So it's adults and children, it's family, it's all of us, not okay, the adults are over here and the children are over here, right? <laughs> right. And, but, but I think you're right. That first step sometimes when people are starting on this journey is I'm just going to step way back here because I don't want to mess it up or I don't want to control or do because they're, the ideas resonate with them. But again, how do you put something into practice and what does that look like? And so what we want to say is, no, no, you don't need to step back. I mean, and, and, and maybe there's a little bit of stepping back inside your head a little bit to say like, let me pause. Maybe it's just yeah. a pause before I respond or jump in and let things unfold, but it's not a step away. You know, it's, you're right there, you're involved, you're, lear- you're dealing with this individual in front of you. And, and I think you'll see as you recognize that individuality in your child, and as you celebrate that, you'll see that that's a much deeper connection than this protector, than, you know, than this person that's going to, you know, pave the way or do whatever. You'll see how much more rich that connection is. And so it's not at all about stepping away and not being connected. It's really about kind of digging in deeper because you're seeing, you're truly seeing the child in front of you. You're listening, you're hearing to who they are and realizing that it is different than who you are, you know, and how you see the world. And I think we're going to get into that. So I'll stop. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, and that's why I like, um, you know, when people come to unschooling, first come to unschooling, I, I like to talk about thinking of it as as taking an extended vacation with your family. Because um, on vacation, you don't typically disengage from each other, right? But you also don't have this fixed schedule that you need to adhere to. So all of a sudden you, you've removed a big layer of the control piece, which is, okay, we need to be here at this certain time and we need to be here at this certain time. So on vacation, you take away that piece and usually you're more focused on, well, let's do fun stuff together because it's a vacation, right? So it just helps, I think, with that transition uh, away from control. It just gives you a way to look at it for a while. Um, while you're starting starting to get to know each other again, right? To see what what is really interesting and, and the things, our likes and our dislikes and where we like to go and if we want to stay in and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really like that. And yes, it does <laughs> transition yeah. very nicely to uh, the next point I wanted to talk about, which is that connected and trusting relationships really are key. Right. So, you know, we we talked about how we're going to move from that that paradigm shift from control to connection. Right. We don't have to be adults versus children. Now we're really getting into developing that connected and trusting relationship. Um, And there's a quote I wanted to share. It's from David Howe's Attachment Across the Life Course book. And I love this one. He wrote, intimate attachments to other human beings are the hub around which a person's life revolves. Not only when he is an infant or toddler or a child, but throughout his adolescence and his years of maturity as well, and on into old age. From these intimate attachments, a person draws his strength and enjoyment in life, and through what he contributes, he gives strength and enjoyment to others. These are matters about which current science and traditional wisdom are one. 
And I, he just loved that observation, right? About intimate attachments. That's what we're talking about. Relationships are the hub around which our lives revolve at every age. Like there's another unschooling idea that, that we'll be peeling back when it comes to parenting, right? That this is a relationship between two human beings. It's, we're not focusing on just childhood, right? Not only is lifelong learning something that's important to us, but developing relationships that we don't need to like recover from when they become adults, right? It's that, that understanding that this is a lifelong relationship that we're developing with them. And that's an integral part of cultivating that environment where we feel safe and secure enough, right? To explore and learn, to follow our curiosity, embrace our creativity, contribute to our family. It really is just about embracing being human, (laughs) no matter our age. So how we choose to parent, the relationships that we choose to create with our children are exactly how we build that strong and trusting foundation in which learning actually thrives. Learning actually bubbles up when you focus on those connected and trusting relationships. And it's funny, uh, you know, I'm sure I've said this lots of times on the podcast, but it's such a fun idea. I remember the time, like that aha moment when I realized, because when I was first unschooling, I was looking for the learning and making sure, you know, they were learning things along the way, not controlling it, but observing it. And that's a useful step, right? To understand, look, they are learning without a curriculum or without me directing their attention to various places. But once you start to really develop that connected and trusting relationship, you realize that that's the important place for you to put your focus, right? And, and the learning is going to happen. You just get so comfortable with it that you stop lear- looking for the learning, don't you? Oh, I know. And I mean, just 100%. Yes. <laughs> I found, you know, over and over again, if we keep the relationship as the priority, the other things just work themselves out, you know, and it's really kind of a litmus test for me is, is what I'm about to say what I'm about to do going to enhance or damage my relationship? Because when you frame it that way, it's pretty hard to make a choice knowing that it could cause damage. And I think sometimes we act causing damage without really forethought about that, you know? And so keeping that question, that relationship front and center guides me and ensures that I'm being the person that I want to be and keeps me building strong relationships that are built on trust and connection with the people around me. And what's so great about that is when the challenges arise, and they will, and they do, you know, <laughs> we have that relationship that helps us work together to figure out next steps. We're not working against each other. We're partners. You know, and I think these principles, I mean, you know, I talk about this a lot, apply to all relationships. And so I can ask that same question related to my husband is what I'm about to say or do, you know, going to enhance or damage that relationship, you know, and, and. I just keep it that simple for myself. And so, like you said, when we're cultivating that, that space and then we're cultivating those relationships, that learning just sparks and goes. And I, and I think it's, um, it happens in a way that's so beautiful to watch because 
when we are having struggles or if we don't put the relationship first, it can tend to take our focus away from growth and learning because we're butting heads, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're, we have somebody jumping back because they're angry about this and you're feeling, no, I've got to control this. And so really it all becomes about the relationship anyway. So it's, if for me, it's more about do you, how, what do you want that energy to be? And so I want it to be about cultivating trust and connection because then I see that's a place we can explore from when we're feeling disconnected. I feel it's really hard to actually explore and learn and grow because we're kind of focused on this dis-ease of, of the problems that we're having, you know, in our relationship. So I think it's, um, it's actually critical to, to the learning and to the, the unschooling piece and, and even separate from unschooling at all, just to growth as a person and as a human. I love that piece. And, you know, that, that was kind of a new aha moment for me. Like just the way you phrase that, that when you don't put the relationship, the the focus on that and thinking about what uh, our next comment or step is going to impact the relationship, that when you do something that goes to disconnect, that that's a disconnection piece between you, um, it, it actually brings them back out of the learning state to be and makes it about the relationship again. So you're back there anyway, you know, because if they're angry about something you said or something you did or they feel judged about it, that's what's going to be rolling through their minds, right? That's what's going to be feeling. So you lost the learning piece anyway. And I mean, I have... I have, um, uh, I did, I wrote a talk and I think it's episode 148 in the podcast, the value of relationships for, for learning. And I talk about like, we've got Maslow's hierarchy of needs there and everything. And there's, there's the basic, you know, physiological and safety needs. And then there's the emotional needs. And then when that's all met, then you can um, spend a lot of time, spend your time in the learning mindset right that open curious creative mindset but yes when you create a disconnect or a disconnect happens things move back down to that emotional level right to that level where they need to work that out first before and we see it all the time right when something goes wrong in life like that's the focus something happens that's where our focus is that's what we want to spend our time on and figure out that's where our mind always goes we, it's very hard while something's going on when, while you're in the thick of it to just randomly go off and learn something else that you're interested in. Right? And that's and so all human beings. Right. And we don't want to be a roadblock to that. And yeah. so I think when you frame it that way, when you're able to look at that and step back and see like, okay, this relationship building is critical to the learning. You know, it is part of that, that, you know, maybe that helps you realize, okay, I am doing important work, even related to if you're still in that place of, but what if they learn this or how are they going to do that? You know, know that the work that you're doing to create this relationship and this trusting place is critical to this learning that you're feeling is so important right now. And, And what I think you'll find, like we've said, is that that's the easy part. Like that just takes care of itself once you've done this work on the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to step to the next piece because it flows so nicely here because, all right now. So 
Um, we're not directing what they're doing. We're focusing on the relationship. But now here's the other piece, I think, as we're learning about unschooling and how parenting is related to it, is the idea that children are capable of making choices. It's another layer where we worry about leaving our kids to, to do this kind of stuff because conventional wisdom, carpenter kind of parenting, you know, has a blueprint already for the things that they should be doing by age, you know, whatever. Um, and it is so hard to imagine, I think, for many people outside of kind of unschooling circles that children really are so capable of making choices and not only that for themselves, contributing great ideas, you know, to family discussions, right? That way more so capable than we ever give them credit for. So I, I remember this was another really huge and at that point surprising paradigm shift for me as we move to unschooling. Because what it does too when we're talking about parent-child relationships is ask us to look through our children's eyes, right? And discover, we're going to discover what's right for them. I loved the realization that their choice in the moment may well be different from what my choice, like even if I put myself into my seven-year-old shoes, right? And, and I look at this situation, I know what I probably would have done, but it may be very different for our child, right? So it is brilliant to realize the difference between putting myself in someone someone's shoes, someone else's shoes, and actually seeing it through their eyes. Right, because now that we're building these trusting relationships and connected relationships with them, we are really getting to know them, understand what they like and what they don't like, what their strengths are, how they like to approach things. So, seeing how capable they are of making decisions that and choices that really work for them and make sense when we see it through their eyes, it's it it opens up a whole new world, doesn't it? <laughs> And it's such a next logical step, you know, because like we were just talking about, you're going to you're going to listen, you're going to get to know them, you're going to do. And, and I just think it's critical to just be a support to them finding what works for them and understanding that they are going to absolutely have different desires, different preferences from us. And I think that does begin with understanding they are capable, whole human beings. And we got to sit with that for a minute, capable, whole human beings, because if you look at them, you can see that, you know, they are human beings with desires and preferences and likes and dislikes and their own personalities and quirks and all these things wrapped up in this beautiful package that we love so much. And when we start from a place of knowing that they're capable you know, then we're able to step back and watch as they learn for themselves and as they try out things and find what feels best for them. As we live with them and connect with them, you know, we're going to share our process with what works for us and, you know, how our understanding of the world is. But it's with that understanding that that's just what works for us and that it may not work for them. And so, you know, it's not about not, because I think sometimes that's a place that people get tripped up, but, but I have this knowledge and I have this whatever. And you do about yourself and about how you interact with the world. And, 
share it. Absolutely. Share what sparks interest in you. Share how you solved a problem. Share how something made sense to you, but always leaving space for them to take that in as information along with other information they're taking in to find out what works for them. Never with a, um, a weight of this is how it should be done, you know, because you'll find in goodness, as we all look back at our lives, there were times when we felt this was the way for us and we ended up changing it you know, a few years later. So, you know, I think it's just stepping back and not just seeing the situation from our lens. So that's what you're talking about because we all come with baggage in our lens and our eyes, but seeing it through their eyes, you know, and, and if we struggle with that, because I think sometimes maybe people are like, but I don't get it. You know, how do I do, how do I see it through their eyes? Um, I think the key is what we were just talking about. It's, it's asking questions sometimes and it's listening, you know, it's observing. It's, it's really just being there with them because you'll start seeing how they process information. You'll start seeing how they're making sense of the things in front of them. And then that'll help you see through their eyes. And those are just really, I don't know. I just think that piece is important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because the really important thing, I think, when you're trying to do that is patience, right? Because, yeah, we may well be able to get places faster in our mind, but we see how they're thinking and processing and their likes and dislikes when we give them that patience and that space to unfold on their timetable, right? I think that that is a huge piece when it comes to that, it, creating that open space for things to unfold at their pace, right? And I think that that is such a huge piece in getting to know them so that you can understand how they see things, right? And then that also gives them the space to gather in the information that you're talking about. Yeah, like it's not about ignoring everything we know. That's that's another part of the hands-off, right? It's like, well, I'm not going to direct them. And so when you've gotten to the space where power isn't part of it, where they don't feel like when you share your experience and, um, and your information and your knowledge, that they're not taking that in as, oh, that's what they want me to do. Right. So that's part of the relationship piece, too, that you're working through getting rid of that power. That's what the connection does. It's like, oh, you're excited to share. Oh, when I did that or, oh, you know, just sharing something that's connected or related that you're excited about, you know, sharing that without expectation and then giving them the space to put it all together I, that's a huge piece is, is if you give them that space, you will see them making super capable choices, but you have to give them the time and space to put that together for themselves. Right. And then you're learning more about them, what they, because sometimes they'll make really fast choices because you know, that's right on the tip of their tongue. And sometimes they'll be contemplating for ages and, and you'll be wondering, you know, are we ever going to <laughs> get an answer or what they want to do? Right. And as much as you can give them the space to come to it because they are just learning so much in that processing time. And we've talked before about how some um, people Kids, adults are external processors and internal processors. So you may be having this conversation with them. They may be saying, hey, but what about this? Oh, what if we did this? 
you know, and you're like, how are they going to ever make a choice? They're like thinking about a million things, but that's because they're processing all those things. Whereas others are internal processors. They're thinking all those things and they're quietly over there and you're like, what are they even thinking about? You know, and eventually they just, they just come and say, okay, you know, I want to do this. Right. It's just so fascinating when you give them that space and you're patient for them to go at their pace. It's just, that, that's where the, the meat of it all is, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And it's so funny because I was going exactly there, exactly to the internal external processing. But, but it fits so great here because when you are observing and really listening to them, you'll learn that about them. You'll learn that, okay, they're an external processor. So they're coming out with a million ideas. I don't need to latch on to any of these. I can just be this kind of sounding board. I can, you know, pipe in with different things and that's comfortable for them. And then if you have that internal process, so you realize "Mm, they're needing to step back and take this information and kind of run over here with it and have that time to let it. And then when they come back to me, I don't need to be questioning it. I, I need to know that they've really thought about it. And so I can trust that. And if they're asking me questions, sure, I can engage in that. But if, you know, an internal processor has usually given a lot of thought <laughs> to what they're bringing to you. So they don't need you to then start questioning it. But you're not going to know that if you don't take this time to see and observe and figure out how you both process. Are you an internal external processor? So that's another piece that I think is critical, but it's all part of this observation and learning about one another. Right. And imagine too, if you've got, if you haven't really started looking at that and you have an external processor, you can be where, you know, when we're talking about their, how capable they are of making choices, right. You, you hear a million different things and you're going, what? <laughs> you know, they want to do that. And that, that's such an important piece is realizing, no, they're just like, thinking about all the things and celebrate that they're thinking about all the things, right? And asking questions and, well, what about this? And what about this? Because we can get scared. It's like, oh, you, you might be thinking of that and thinking of that. But no, you got to give them, give them all the information they're asking for, bounce it around with them. If that's the way that they like to process things, realize that's what's happening and then see where it goes. But being curious about I wonder where this is going to end up is such (laughs) not only a more enjoyable, but a much more learning mindset, like learning about your child when you approach it that way versus even just with your body language, reacting with, with a bit of judgment to the crazy ideas that they first come up with, right? Because you're subtly trying to direct where they're going right? So even control doesn't even have to just look like words and telling them what to do. You can really, with a lot of body language, um, exude that control over top of them. So that's another thing to to pay attention to, right? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay let's move on. And, and <laughs> again, this comes nicely. So we're talking more about these discussions with them, right? And the things that they're looking to do as they're making choices. The next piece I wanted to talk about, and a lot of digging and paradigm shifting happened for me around this, is the idea of boundaries and comfort zones, right? So pulling it back to that gardening metaphor that we started with, Um, The idea of cultivating that rich and nurturing environment with space to grow into the individual that they're meant to be. 
it is really interesting, or interesting to me anyway, to consider the role that we as parents have in creating that garden space for our family, right? So, of course, we naturally include some things in our garden and not others because we can't include all the things, right? Um, and that that really brings to mind for me another uh, quote that I loved. I'm sharing quotes today. But this one is John Holt's um, Walled Garden Metaphor. I hadn't read this book until like just a couple of years ago. Um, it's called Escape from Childhood, The Needs and Rights of Children. And he talked about this garden. I, you know, it's just so cool to see the, like she's writing about parenting. It's really cool to see how these, very, these um, ideas from very different fields um, come together, right? That's, that's why I love that. Anyway, John Holt wrote, I do not want to destroy their garden or kick them out of it. If they like it, by all means, let them stay in it. But I believe most young people at earlier and earlier ages begin to experience childhood not as a garden, but as a prison. What I want to do is put a gate or gates in the wall of the garden so that those who find it no longer protective or helpful, but instead confining and humiliating, can move out of it and for a while try living in a larger space. If that proves too much for them, they can always come back into the garden. Indeed, perhaps we all ought to have walled gardens and take refuge in when we feel we must. Right? So I I love that idea. So I I want to dive into that. Our family's garden is first built and filled by us as parents. And this isn't a big deal when our kids are younger, right? There's lots to explore in there, right? This is, you know, the way our family does things. But the crux of it comes at at any age uh, when our children see something outside of the garden, right, that they're interested in. Because then their life in the garden starts to feel restricted. As Holt said, it starts to feel confining. It may even start to feel humiliating because you're not allowed to go out there, right? So what now? This is another point for parenting. Um, Will we put a gate in the wall of our garden? Will we walk outside with them as they explore? You know, those are great questions to ask ourselves. And these are the kinds of questions we're going to ask ourselves when we come to unschooling because we've chosen to be the one um, helping our children explore the world, right? Like how they learn about the world is through exploration. Like that's how we've chosen their learning to happen. So this is a great question for us. And for me, those garden walls have come to represent my comfort zones, right? So sometimes exploring our kids' interests takes them um, to places, whether they're exploring like particular topics or exploring things about themselves, take them places that are outside of the garden that I kind of built for our family, outside of my comfort zones. And for me to be open and curious about those possibilities of adding a gate or expanding our garden, making our garden bigger, like bringing, welcoming things into our garden, um, that is where I just found the most, not only learning for them, but learning for me, right? This is, this is lifelong learning. That's something we're trying to cultivate. And to realize that 
sometimes my comfort zones were confining for me as well, like, like cold rope. Sometimes indeed, maybe we all want gardens where we can go out and explore and then come back inside. Like to me, that just screams comfort zones, right? (laughs) Sure. I, I love the imagery that he puts forth here because I think it's a visual that can really help people kind of understand what we're talking about. And like you said, with very young children, you know, we create this beautiful garden and fill it with all the things that we love and the things that we'll think will spark interest and that feel safe and wonderful because that's what you want for this very young child who's just starting to kind of toddle out and figure out the world. But then, you know, again, as you said, those walls can really be about our comfort zones because they're all coming from our lens, you know, where they're coming from what we, how we see the world and how, what, even maybe how we want this beautiful world to be for our child, you know? So I think there may be some things to peel back there, this idea of creating this safe en- environment, but, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, until there is, you know, <laughs> until, <laughs> you know, until the child wants to push against those. And then that's where we have the opportunity. And, and the thing is, because where we learn and grow is honestly going to be beyond those comfort zones. Like it just is, you know? And so I think creating the gate and not only creating the gate, but like you said, helping them open it and celebrating their exploration outside the wall. So no fear about that, you know, because that, that weight, they're going to feel that as weight and so we can be excited about that exploration, even if it feels, you know, makes us nervous because we're doing it together. Because again, remember what we talked about earlier, we have this solid relationship. We have this solid, you know, trust and connection. And so that exploration is still happening together, you know, and, and I think it's in that moment that we become the trusted advisor. So it goes kind of beyond this relationship and that we've connected. And now I'm going to explore out beyond you, mom. And are you going to be there with me? Or am I going to have to do it alone? Because we're human beings. We're going to do it, period. It's going to happen. (laughs) So do we want to do it together? Or do we want to, you know, in in a supportive role? Or do we want to have it be I'm going anyway. And I think what it creates when you become the trusted advisor and we can keep the relationship first is there's no sneaking required. So I think we can take this into some other realms because there's no deception needed because they know if they ask and they want to explore that we're okay with that, that we want to be there to support it. And we know that if something happens, you know, out there, outside the garden that doesn't feel great or feel scary to them, they know they that we're right there. They haven't had to sneak away to test it because we're, you know, still feeling worried and not letting them go. Because I think if you think about that, and I'm sure all of us can think about that in our own lives, if we go out like away from our parents because they're not hearing that we need to do this and do, and then something scary happens, if we feel there's been a disconnect, you know, we'll just kind of sit there in the scary place. Like, okay, I've got to figure this out by myself or I don't know. I I can't go back where they're going to say, I told you so, or there's going to be a, you know, a judgment associated with it. And so then I think that can push us beyond our own comfort zones. And so in a way that's not healthy, um, I don't know if I'm making sense, but you know, it's that piece of, um, 
I just want to be that trusted advisor. I just want them to know that when something is scary, they don't have to push through that to prove anything to me, that I'm going to be just really neutral about it. Like, okay, that didn't feel good. Then yeah, let's talk about it. What, what didn't you like about it? But what are the things you liked about it? Because even in a situation, you know, where someone's stepping outside of their comfort zones, there's going to be things they love and things they don't love. And so if they can feel comforted with, you know, exploring that with you, then they can just be moving more towards the things they love and, and move away from those other things, you know, cause it, it, I don't know. So I feel like I'm muddling, but do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's this dance again. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think it's a great example. Like the way you were talking about it for maybe people when we're talking about relationships again, thinking about the teen years, right? How ingrained conventionally is that the teen years are going to be full of rebellion, you know, and arguing over what you can and can't do and all that kind of stuff. Like that is a classic time when kids are at an age where they want to explore more, where they want to explore not only like further afield, but really dive into what they find interesting. And it can be for parents that, you know, especially as, as a whole, our world is, is changing and moving ahead faster and faster, right? So our teens world can look very different from what our world world like looked like when we were teens, right? So that can be a scary piece for us. And we're trying to keep them in the garden, right? But when you think about it that way, uh, that exploration, when you're doing it together, when you're helping them, when you want to be part of it, you become that trusted advisor role. And there isn't a space where they need to rebel. Like, so people will hear from experienced unschooling parents that, you know, we loved the teen years and yes, we love the teen years. <laughs> um, and, and that's very surprising to them, but not when you develop these kinds of relationships with them, not when you choose to really see things through their eyes and put walls, walls, put gates in the garden, expand our comfort zones, you know, do things with them. Like I do remember when, I guess Lissy was 12 or so when she wanted to first start going to concerts or shows, right? And she wanted to go to the, they were all ages shows, but they were like with the alternative music. So they were in bars in the city, like right downtown. That wasn't even something I enjoyed doing as a teen, right? (laughs) So for me, this was super uncomfortable. But, you know, through our conversations, I could see how she got there. Well, just seeing her interests, seeing how those interests came about listening to the music and sharing the music with her um, and enjoying the music together, I could see how now she wanted to see it live, right? So that was a lot of work. And I remember how fearful I was those first few times. And then sometimes when the bar was in a sketchier part of town, you know, I remember that in the basement here. So (laughs) those were really times when I went into those moments with fear, but I am so happy that I chose to do that, but we were doing it together, right? So being there, I was able, you know, to say to her, you know, if you're ever uncomfortable, you know, I'm right there. Um, I'm not in the middle of the mosh pit with you. (laughs) I'm where I'm comfortable. So this is, you know, us working together. I don't have to be her. I don't have to do exactly everything that she's doing, right? This is, you know, you don't, the whole best friend friend metaphor of course you're a friend with them but you're you're also you you know what I mean 
if I, as a teen, grew up and loved mosh pits, maybe I would have been in the mosh pit, but it wasn't the thing for me. But I was super enjoying the show, right? I came to really enjoy those times by watching the musicians because they were people who were in their element. This was their passion. This is what they love. And they were just doing like small bar shows, but they were right into it. So it was so much fun. So I found the things that I could enjoy from the experience. I would be able to share the experience with her because I was there so we could talk about it. And I knew, and she knew that if some uncomfortable things came up, I was right there. Right. So it was, it was just so worth doing that work to be able to. And, and, and isn't it a part of um, trusting that they're capable Let's you know, go back to that for a minute, because I think you trusted her as this capable person. She researched the shows. She knew where they were. There were things she didn't know, but there's also so much that she contributed to that whole dynamic. So you could bring your parts and she could bring her parts. And so I think that's that piece. They're so capable. And when we go back to that, we tr- and we trust that, that's where we have these really interesting conversations. That's where we move into these areas together because we're both bringing things to the table. I think sometimes parents can get stuck thinking they have to have all the solutions. They have to have all the knowledge. They have to have all the answers. You don't because you have this capable human being in front of you who's going to be contributing. And together, you're contributing and, and making this able to move forward in a much easier way and a much more comfortable way for both of you. So I think it's back to that again, you know, look at this capable team because holy, yes, I love the teen years and love these young adult years too. But I mean, the teen years were I'm wonderful. And, and yet we did see with people that we interacted that didn't have the same, you know, connections and unschooling life that we did, how hard it was for them and how they longed for that connection. And they would look for it from me and from, you know, other connected adults that they want adult connections as teens. They just want to be heard and seen. And it's so simple because they're so interesting and so amazing that, oh my gosh, yeah, if you have younger kids, don't be fearful about that because it is a wonderful, wonderful time. It really is. And you're right. Like so capable after hundreds of shows, you know, however many we went, we never did ever have like an issue, (laughs) you know, and she, she like just dove into the whole scene. You're right. Like she found the shows. She knew where we were going. She knew when the tickets were on set. I just like did my part there and I found, you know, where part where's parking nearby. That that was kind of my my piece. And then I got to enjoy the show, and we would have amazing conversations about it. But she had her part totally, totally in control. Like, you know, she knew all about the etiquette of mosh pets and <laughs> figured that all out, and had so much fun with that. And you know what? The other piece was was stereotypes that I was dealing with, right? you know, the people that would be in those mosh pits and and worried about that. But, you know, she found an amazing group of interesting people. Like, I mean, it was just so worth it for me as a human being learning about this space that she was curious about. Like it did nothing but make me a better person, right? So often expanding my comfort zones makes me a better person 
makes me closer, helps me become more of the person that I want to be, right? I don't want to be a judgmental person. And to understand more pieces of the world, that, that's something that, that we learn, I think, when we talk about comfort zones, is that so many things that we thought we knew were so much about just that surface level information that stereotypes come from. And, you know, not all stereotypes are negative, right? Um, so there's that piece, but so much of it is, is learning that, wow, these people are um, amazing human beings. Like no matter what their interest is, they're amazing human beings diving to this interest. And they're, they're really, they're nice people, right? So being able to expand and see more of the world that way has just been nothing but a pleasure in the end, even as I walk through my fear at the beginning. <laughs> right. And, and, and I love that. And look at all the learning and growth that you got out of the opportunity yes. of supporting her. And I think that's what you'll see over and over again, that they lead us in these amazing directions and they do it when they're six and they do it when they're 16 and they do it when they're 26, you know? And so, because these are beautiful human beings that we're sharing this life with. So I, I really just love that so much. And I think that, you know, again, we talk about this cultivating relationships and, and just how important it is. And I think that you'll just see as you are really listening, really seeing the child in front of you, just how much it will heal and help you to become the person that you want to be and, and in relationships and that that will spill over into other relationships and that it'll just, I mean, it, it's such a beautiful path. And so it's so worth the time to me to invest in that. And again, you know, we talk so much about unschooling gives us this time, this time to explore and be and listen and not feel rushed and pressured and all of these things. And so, you know, I just, I love that so much about this life. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the other big piece too. I love, I love what you talked about there, that expansion. It becomes not about, like we talked about earlier, it's not just about childhood, right? It's about our relationships with them. And when, when you start with that focus, how eventually it becomes about us too. Like we realize wow, you know, this lifestyle is also so much for me. I'm learning so much and I'm growing so much as a person. And this is just a way for us to, to live. You know, so often the realization becomes, you know, oh, unschooling isn't like a thing, uh, uh, an education method, so much as it is a choice um, for life. Like, you know, when our kids hit their 20s or, you know, hit 18, whatever age, you that's another question you're going to deal with when you look at parenting, right? Like, what does that age really, really mean? Our lives didn't change at all, did they? Right? Like, the things we did will have changed over time. Um, but the person we are and the way we approach our days doesn't change at all. Like, never once did it feel like we stopped unschooling because it just became a way of living, a way of engaging with each other, of being in relationship with each other, even, even when they move and live in different places, right? It's still, it's the way they live, the way we live, the way we still connect. It just, it just becomes such, such a, be a beautiful life, doesn't it? <laughs> 
does. And I just, I think, again, I, I just want to stress this. So those with younger kids, as you're building these relationships and trusting in their capability and you're experiencing this with all of these pieces, when you get to these teen and young adult ages where honestly the stakes are bigger, you know, it's moves to other countries. It's, you know, making big relationship decisions. It's, you know, big decisions about all kinds of things. It, it's so much easier because of that foundation, because they've dabbled in that. They've dabbled in stretching their comfort zones with knowing your support. They've dabbled in, you know, really looking inside and how do I feel about this? And is this something I want to do? And they're listening to those pieces. So they've had all these years and practice of listening to who they are. And so those big stake decisions, it's, it's just another decision to make with support and taking in information. And so it's just so valuable. And, and in those big decisions, too, is also the n- number one, like knowing they have our support, but also what they've learned over the years is there is no right or wrong choice or decision, right? That I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I think this is the best um, next step for me right now is what this feels like. But they're not going to feel judged if, you know, three months, six months, three years down the road, they're like, hmm, this isn't feeling so good anymore. I'm going to step sideways or I'm going to step back. You know, whatever direction they do take from that moment, it's they are free to um, not feel judged about changing things. Up, even right? celebrated for that, even yes. celebrated for just recognizing that like 100%, that's not working for you. Look at what you've learned from that. Look at how much, you, you know, and, and that, because I think, even in, in, in our children who've had that freedom, when they make a big decision, maybe backing down from something, you know, they can feel a little bit inside. And so when you meet them with that celebratory energy of, oh my gosh, this was such an amazing experience that you had. And yeah, that piece didn't feel great. And you did, then that gives them, you, you just feel the relaxing, like, yeah, that didn't feel great. And I don't want to do that anymore or whatever it is. And so, and, and, and those little moments where you see that, that human connection that you have with them and that so it, it just, I mean, it makes me a little teary because it's just really beautiful that, I mean, I feel like if we could support all humans and all relationships that way, like things would be so different because we have so much fear and shame and things bottled up in us about decisions and fear of failure and all of these different things. And, and I, I just feel like this gives a template to live a different way. Yeah, it, it really, really does. And I love too when they're going through a hard time that they are so comfortable coming and asking and, you know, and we are able to offer what help we can, like even from a different country, how can I help out with that? You know, and them just knowing they have you in their corner, right? Like you said, it just, it just feels very I'm not going to say relaxing for them, but it gives them, it's like you're all working together. They feel more powerful. They feel more um, able when they've got more brains, when a challenging moment comes up, right? And like you said, that's the most important piece. These big things really work out the way we worked out all the little things, right? All those little things are all building that trust and that connection that you rely on and that help you through those bigger moments. So, you know, it, it, it is so valuable to approach each day thoughtfully, really with intention, 
yeah. right? Not just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll try again tomorrow or whatever. You know, not to put pressure on yourself, but yeah. just to bring yourself into the moment, like to really focus on each moment as it is. And fear can often pull you back away from that, right? You can often get stuck in your head, like we were talking about earlier. But if you can come back to each moment and see each moment for what it is without the judgment, without the expectation, that's where you start to see them clearly. That's where you develop so much more trust, not only in them, but in unschooling, in in the lifestyle and in yourself. Because when you're in that moment, you're so much freer to make choices, I think, right? When you don't have the weight of everything else on you. And then you can work, wow, you know, we did this then. Maybe it didn't work out perfectly, but hey, you know, this bit went great. And then you take yeah. that information with you to the next time and the next time. Like this is all building that trust and connection, right? And there's nothing wrong when things go a little sideways, right? You know, because that's just more information. In fact, I think it was from that, that um, attachment book, um, Across the Life Course, where he talks about like even um, conscientious and engaged parents uh, 50% of the time, a, a connection attempt or, you know, just some sort of interaction doesn't go exactly the way you expected. But the important piece is that reconnection, that next one, you know, that moving forward piece, because that's where the trust comes, right? It's like, oh, when something goes a little bit sideways, if everybody like pulls back forever, that's, that keeps the disconnect there. But if it's like, oh, geez, that didn't work out quite well. How about we try this or whatever, or just going back without a direction, right? To just sit with them for that moment. Those are the, those reconnecting pieces are where you're building that, that trust with them, that you'll be there for them when, whenever they need it. Right. And I think keeping the relationship on the forefront, like that's something we can control who we are in a relationship. We can't control the relationship, but control who we are in a relationship. And I think when we keep our focus there, I think so often we want to control all these outside pieces. We don't want anything bad to happen or we want them to be happy all the time, or we want, you know, this to protect them from this. It's like, honestly, we can't do that. You know, the things are going to happen and it's, you know, they're going to be difficult times for us and difficult times for them, but, but we really can keep that relationship strong and you'll really find, and, and think back through your own life, you'll find that even when hard things happen, when you have that connection with someone, a friend, your spouse, your child, whoever, that helped you move through that time. And so it's, you know, that's, that's the beautiful gift we can give is by prioritizing the relationship, we will get through those tough times that may come. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting with me, Anna. It's so like, Parenting and unschooling are woven so tightly together. So it was really fun to take a look at at parenting um, in the context of unschooling and see how these choices in parenting really support that lifelong learning, engaged, just um, ex excited to to live life kind of approach to to our family days, right? <laughs> Oh, I, I absolutely love it and enjoy talking about it. So yes, thanks so much. Uh, have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. 
the conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.